The Athletic. Good morning. Welcome to the Daily Football Briefing from The Athletic. It's Friday, 25th of August. I'm Abby Patterson, and today we're asking... Is Mo Salah leaving Liverpool for Saudi Arabia? The fact that it hasn't been completely dismissed out of hand, I think, speaks volumes. Could Romelu Lukaku play for Chelsea again this season? Keeping him might actually be the option that makes the most sense. And are Juventus back? You can tell by the manner in which they played that yeah, they really want to be back on top. You're listening to The Daily Football Briefing from The Athletic. First then to the news that Liverpool forward Mo Salah is attracting strong interest from Saudi Pro League club Al Ittihad. David Ornstein reports that it's unclear if a move will materialise, with the Merseyside club saying their star player is not for sale. Reports have followed the Egyptian all summer, linking him with a move to Saudi, which would see him follow in the footsteps of former teammates Jordan Henderson and Fabinho. The 31-year-old signed a three-year contract last summer, making him the highest-paid player in Liverpool history at around £350,000 a week. With me now is the Athletics' Liverpool writer James Pearce. James, this can't be real, can it? Well, what is very real is Al Ittihad's interest in Mohamed Salah and how it's intensified over the last 24 to 48 hours. Rewind to the start of August and it was it was clear then that, that Salah was right at the top of the list of targets that, that the Saudis were looking to attract. You know, Al Ittihad made a proposal at that point, um, yet the response, a very public one, from Rami Abbas, Salah's representative, was, was no, he's not interested. There's no indication of whether Salah is going to try and force a move. You know, that is yet to be seen. However, the fact that it hasn't been completely dismissed out of hand, I think, speaks volumes as, as in terms of where we're at at the moment. Liverpool's position is unchanged. They say there has been no offers for Mohamed Salah. They don't want any offers for him. And if there are any offers, they'll reject them. OK, but, but why would Salah leave? What's in it for him? You can't get away from the finance. I mean, Liverpool broke their wage structure to, to make him the highest paid player in the club's history on around £350,000 a week when they gave him that new deal last summer ending, you know, a real saga in terms of speculation over his future. Yet, you know, that sum of money is made to look almost small fry in comparison to the wages being banded around by Saudi clubs this summer. And, you know, there's been some reports in the in the Middle East that, you know, they'd be willing to even go beyond what they're paying Cristiano Ronaldo to play over there. So, of, of course, there's a, a massive, massive financial incentive. Also, you know, I think from Salah's perspective, there would be you know the attraction of playing in a in a in a Muslim country, uh, and we know what you know vast vast popularity he he has in in that part of the world. If he does want to go, he'd be giving up an awful lot because he's absolutely adored at Anfield, and he'd be walking away from elite level football to play in a much inferior league. So you can see either way with him, but James, from a club perspective, is there any reason to sell? Well, I think from Liverpool's perspective, you know they. They certainly do not want to lose him. And even some people would possibly say, is there not a business case for for selling a 31-year-old if someone's prepared to pay you 100 million euros, which is is the figure that's been touted around in, in Saudi. But I think the quick response to that is, yeah, maybe if this was a month or two months ago, not when the transfer window shuts in a week, because how could Liverpool 
possibly go about adequately replacing someone who is still by far and away their most you know devastating attacking threat and his you know his numbers he's shown no sign of slowing down Mo Salah despite being 31 so Liverpool will be desperate to try and keep hold of him Chelsea boss Mauricio Pochettino has sat down with Alan Shearer for an interview for The Athletic. In it, they cover a wide range of stories from whether the manager was ever going to return to Tottenham, to the pressures of managing at PSG, to Poch's former striker Harry Kane. But it's a different number nine we're going to focus on, and that's the rather more nomadic, by comparison, Romelu Lukaku. The Chelsea manager tells Shearer that he hasn't completely ruled out bringing the striker back into the fold. Lukaku has spent the summer training with the club's under-21 players, which Pochettino says was a decision from both sides before he and his team arrived. Here to help analyse these comments and some of the others, it's Chelsea writer Liam Toomey. Liam, what's your reading on Poch's comments on Lukaku? He's certainly not ruling anything out, is he? Pochettino's comments on Lukaku, I think, are a reflection of what a seasoned politician he is. Pochettino knew coming into Chelsea what the Lukaku situation was, that Chelsea were motivated to sell him, that he was very, very motivated to leave, particularly if he could go back to Italy, and that the relationship between them had soured, to say the least. And so Pochettino's approach ever since coming in has essentially been to keep well away from it and focus on coaching the players that Chelsea want to give him. But I think the fact that he's not ruling anything out is also pretty smart because this is a really messy situation now for Chelsea with a week left of what is the European transfer window and maybe a little bit of extra time for Saudi Arabian market and Turkey and a couple of other places. Chelsea have almost priced Lukaku out of a couple of the moves that might have materialised earlier this summer. Keeping him might actually be the option that makes the most sense. One thing he is ruling out, though, is a return to Spurs. And that, quite frankly... Was never an option. Well, Pochettino pouring cold water on any notion of a return to Tottenham won't come as any surprise to Athletic subscribers familiar with Jack Pitbrook's work. This is what he was saying and writing before Antonio Conte was appointed by Spurs and after he left that Daniel Levy never picked up the phone to Pochettino and as such it never became an option. No, 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 never. Nothing uh, enough. No, I think too many news, uh, maybe maybe the fans, you know, but never, uh, never was uh, an option. I think the question that Tottenham fans have been agonising over is what would his answer have been if Levy had picked up the phone? But I think from Pochettino's perspective... He's being honest when he's saying, look, it was just never an option. Finally, Shearer and Pochettino spoke about Deli Alley following his very open and honest interview with Gary Neville. Pochettino says he's helped to offer Deli in any circumstance. And it's this bit of the interview, Liam, that's actually quite emotional to read from Pochettino. What's your reaction to his comments? I think the thing that stands out to me, and Pochettino goes into this in a bit more detail with Alan Shearer is, by extension, the depth of emotion in his relationships with his players. He describes it as his strength and his weakness, the connections that he forges with his players and the amount of 
genuine emotional energy he expends on them as people, not just as footballers. I think we've seen the early signs of that developing at Chelsea. It's a very young squad, which I think also helps Pochettino build connections and convince these guys that he really cares about them. As There are a few guys who are about the same age as Deli Ali was when uh, he first met Pochettino. And I think you can see there's a togetherness in this Chelsea group. And it's the one of the big things that he was brought in to do at Chelsea. To read the full piece with Alan Shearer and Mauricio Pochettino, you can find it all only on The Athletic. And if you're not yet a subscriber with us, head to theathletic.com forward slash briefing to find out more. You're listening to The Daily Football Briefing from The Athletic. And one more piece you can read whilst you're there is all about Italian giants Juventus. And it appears they're back. You'll remember that last season was overshadowed following the Prisma scandal, which refers to Juve's dealings around transfers, for which they were eventually docked 10 points and banned from European competition for a year. Though it wasn't quite as straightforward as that. Anyway, it could well be that the old lady is ready to put the past behind her and claim back the Scudetto, which means that Italian football's finest James Horncastle is with me to unpack this further. James, are Juventus Serie A favourites again? Juventus started the season with a very impressive 3-0 win away in Udine. They were 3-0 up at halftime. That hadn't happened on the opening day of the season since 2001. And they played as though they couldn't wait to get started, as though this was payback for everything that went on last season. Uh, The Prisma scandal, which we wrote about in depth on The Athletic, the 15-point penalty that brought, how that was then suspended, and then there was a 10-point penalty. You know, they came out fired up, and hell hath no fury like a old lady scorned. You can tell by the manner in which they played that, you know, they really want to be back on top. Okay, so they've got fire in the belly, but it's not enough to tag a team with the favourites badge, James. Another thing favouring them, at least on paper, is that they are not in Europe at all. And so they can focus exclusively on playing in the league and in the Coppa Italia, which they put renewed focus on. Yeah, this has brought with it echoes of Antonio Conte's first season in 2011-12. He inherited a team that had finished seventh um, and was not in Europe. But Allegri has said he doesn't know whether it will be a benefit um, to this team. However, when you look at the performance, particularly in the first half against Dudine, they played with an intensity that I've rarely seen from Juventus in Allegri's second spell. I haven't seen from Juventus in, in quite some time. And if they can replicate that, then they will certainly be contenders. Let's talk personnel to end then, James. How significant is it that Federico Chiesa is back? Chiesa scored after barely a minute had gone and it was the fastest goal that Juventus have scored on the opening day since Roberto Bettiga was still up front for them back in the early 80s and you know Chiesa shushed the haters even though he said he wasn't doing that but he played with the kind of mentality that was representative of who Juventus are uh, right now and he's now playing as a second striker which uh, I think is more suited to him and Allegri thinks that this year, um, Chiesa can be a, a player who can get 14, 15, 16 league goals, uh, which would be a personal best and would, would seem go to another level. Time to talk telly then. And after they didn't play last weekend, you can watch Luton Town in action at Stamford Bridge. The Hatters face Chelsea at 8pm UK time or 3pm Eastern, which you can watch on Sky Sports or the USA Network. 
If you're feeling like you want to see Jude Bellingham play on a Friday night, though, then I have good news for you. It's Celta Vigo against Real Madrid in La Liga. That's on Viaplay or ESPN Plus at 8.30pm or 3.30pm. And I have one final option for you. In the Bundesliga, Leipzig host Stuttgart. It's a 7.30pm kickoff in the UK, 2.30 Eastern, and it's on Sky Sports or ESPN+. And that's all for today. Thank you so much for listening. I've been Abby Patterson. Your producer was Mike Zimmerman. The executive producer was Ian McIntosh. And if you're with us for the first time, make sure you hit that follow button on your podcast app and tell your friends about us too. Tim Spears will be back here on Monday to recap all of the football from the weekend. Until then, have a good one. The Athletic.